This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, I'm Preeti Subramanian, the Director of Scientific Programs for Vision Science at Bright Focus Foundation. Welcome to today's chat on therapeutic approaches for dry age-related macular degeneration. Our guest today is Dr. Goldis Malik. Dr. Malik is an ophthalmology professor at Duke University Medical School, where she specializes in research on macular degeneration. Bright Focus has been fortunate to work with Dr. Malik over the past few years, and we are excited today to learn the latest news about better treating AMD. Before we turn to Dr. Malik, a few housekeeping notes. If you are new to the Bright Focus chats, welcome. Once a month, we have the opportunity to spend about 30 to 40 minutes with leading experts on vision disease and eye health. Without further ado, let's turn to Dr. Goldus Malik of Duke University. Dr. Malik, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So before we talk about some of the exciting research coming from your group at Duke University, I was wondering if you could give an overview of AMD to our listeners, especially for those who might be new to this disease. I want to start by asking about the differences between the dry and the wet forms of AMD. Sure. So age-related macular degeneration, or AMD, um, it's a progressive degenerative disorder of the retina. And it affects approximately 30% of people over the age of 65. So you can imagine it's one of the most common causes of vision loss or blindness in the elderly in the Western world. It's particularly impactful on daily life because typically it occurs in people when they're ready to retire and indulge in like all those fun activities like um, that we generally postpone, like reading a book or doing arts and crafts. Um, so as you mentioned, there are different stages and clinical subtypes of AMD. Um, the early dry form is characterized by the formation of drusen. And drusen is basically just a German word for node. So these are lipid and protein deposits that accumulate between an, a cell layer that essentially is the nurse cell layer to the retina called the RPE. And there's another stage following that called intermediate dry, and this is where those deposits, the drusen, become larger. And at this stage, patients may or may not notice a change in their vision. Um, and then in the late form of dry AMD, it's also uh, oftentimes coined advanced dry or geographic atrophy. There is loss of not only the RPE cells, but also the outer vascular cells that support the RPE and the retina, as well as the photoreceptors in our retina. So these are the cells that absorb um, light and send the signal to the brain so that allows us to actually see the images that we do. And finally, um, there is wet or neovascular AMD. And then this is where there's an opportunity for new vessels to grow and leak into the retinal space and affect vision negatively. That's great. Thank you for the uh, overview. The advanced form of AMD that you were talking about is also called as the geographic atrophy. Um, could you tell us how uh, did the name come about, geographic atrophy, for the advanced dry form of AMD? Yeah, sure. So uh, geographic atrophy, I mean, essentially, it's just like it sounds. It's when you have regions of RPE that, uh, one or two regions of RPE that uh, begin to de degenerate. And oftentimes, these regions can coalesce, and they can form these 
patterns in the back of the eye. So when a physician looks into the back of the eye, they can see basically this island of loss of cells, um, which is characteristic of, of the disease. Great. Thank you. Now, if I may follow up this with a basic question about what inspired you to be an AMD researcher? Um, yeah, so, you know, in many respects, if I had to reflect on this, I would say I kind of grew up in the field of ocular biology. Um, when I was an undergraduate student, I volunteered in a lab, mostly because I wanted to learn about what it's like to be a scientist, and I, and I also really liked the teaching style of my PI, who was the head of the lab. And the re research focus at the time was on understanding the visual system, and we, we used a really unique model system. It was the horseshoe crab. He's one of the oldest creatures on Earth that's capable of seeing both UV and visual light, so it's a very unique model system. This was a, a really fun experience for me, and it solidified my interest in science. But, you know, in the big picture, model systems are a fantastic way to learn about basic biology and also test therapies. But in the next phase of my career, so to speak, which was graduate school, I wanted an opportunity to study the disease at the level of human tissue. And that's simply because if you understand the biology as it occurs in human disease, then you can start asking those questions of why and how does the disease develop. And it just it, it arms you with the necessary questions to dig deeper. So when I joined graduate school, I was lucky to find a lab that focused primarily on pathology of ocular diseases and specifically AMD. And my PI was uh, was wonderful and resourceful, so she formed this relationship with the local eye bank. And as a result of that, we had access to a large library of human donor tissue. And this was where I was so excited to see the complexity of the tissue and to start understanding what really happens in AMD in humans. What does it look like? What are the variety of pathologies? What are the different cells? How is it so complex? And um, I think it was there where I really um, fell in love with the eye, essentially, and wanted to ask the questions and formulate hypotheses as to how does the disease develop and what kind of therapies should we be looking into. Uh, this is really fascinating to hear at, about your motivation and your interests and uh, we at Bright Focus appreciate your dedication to improve the understanding and finding better treatment to benefit those who are suffering from this condition. Mm -hmm. So since today our topic is on uh, dry AMD, and there is currently no available treatment for it except for the antioxidant ARITS-2 formulation, which helps to prevent progression in the early and mid-stages of the disease. It really seems like a very complex condition. So can you tell us what is currently known about some of the key contributors for this particular disease? Oh, yeah, sure. So like you say, um, it's one of the most glaring challenges that researchers have faced in trying to identify effective therapies. Um, it's the fact that AMD is multifactorial. And what that really means is that there are numerous risk factors that have identified to date, which can contribute to not only initiation, but also progression of the disease. Beyond that, the contribution of these individual risk factors can vary from individual to individual. 
So these risk factors include everything from age, which is the most established risk factor. The longer you live, the greater your chance of developing the disease, unfortunately. Systemic health, environmental risk factors. Once again, one of the most established risk factors second to age is smoking. If you were a smoker, then um, your risk for developing disease, you have a higher risk. And finally, genetics. Genetics is a really big one. Uh, at last count, I think there were over 50 different loci that are associated with um, uh, AMD risk. And these genes can fall into a variety of categories, including the genes that are part of our immune response, genes that are involved in lipid regulation. But I'll just step back and say that, you know, um, once again, this is an incredibly complex disease. And just because you are, may or may not be a carrier of a potential risk, it does not dictate that you will develop the disease or how your disease might even progress. Those are the questions that we're still trying to figure out um, in the research community. Oh, great. Um, thank you for that information. Dr. Malik, uh, you've been the recipient of Bright Focus Macular Degeneration Research Grants to study different aspects of this disease. Uh, in addition, with uh, some of the data that you obtained from these studies, you were able to get a bigger grant from NIH to perform further studies. Can you tell us about these studies and what your findings were from them? Oh sure, yeah. I was I was really fortunate. I was awarded um, two grants at two very different time points in my scientific career, and um, I think the grant you're you're talking about uh, the focus of that grant was essentially to study a transcription factor, which is called the aryl hydrocarbon receptor. And the reason we wanted to study this receptor was because it's involved in clearing toxic material. Um, so you can imagine drusen material are toxic, so it's involved in potentially clearing toxic material. It's also involved in immune regulation in the and so what we wanted to ask the what we wanted to ask was is it actually capable of regulating those same pathways in the AMD, these two pathways that are also important in AMD. And with the Bright Focus grant, um, we were able to look at whether or not if you activate this particular pathway, could it improve the overall health of RPE cells? Once again, the nurse cells to the retina. Could it improve cellular metabolism? Could it improve energy production? And we were also able to test drugs that we already know are available and can activate the receptor and see how that um, how they work in um, in cells and also in model systems. So from there, we were able to take this data and launch it into a larger grant from the National Institutes of Health. And right now, we're looking at other pathways that are lesser known um, to be regulated by this receptor, but are incredibly important in AMD development. And those are specifically, how does it regulate lipids? Because once again, the drusen are chock full of lipids and proteins. So if we can somehow regulate how lipids get in there, maybe we can also regulate the formation of these um, deposits that shouldn't be there. Um, and we're also looking at um, these novel dr drugs that we've developed in collaboration with a small molecule company that we know can activate the receptor. And now we're trying to see whether or not, if we test it in our model systems, will it result in um, no toxicity, uh, higher length of time in the eye, and are they effective at actually clearing this abnormal material um, that is so characteristic of dry AMD?
So that was one of the grants. And um, another grant, which was also, I, I thought, very exciting, and it's a more recent grant that uh, we're hopefully going to launch into another um, NIH-funded um, opportunity, it was to look for biomarkers in um, human serum and to try and understand a particular molecule that is involved in the recruitment of immune cells. So immune cells can be good guys or they can be bad guys, and we're still trying to figure out the extent to which these immune cells, the good and bad, contributes to the different clinical subtypes, so the early dry, the intermediate dry, the geographic atrophy, and what AMD. And so with the Bright Focus grant, we were able to screen samples from human donors and to look at the expression of this particular molecule and see whether or not there is a change as a function of the severity of the disease. And beyond that, we were also able to look at what exactly does it do in RPE cells, um, and is it involved in recruiting immune cells? So that's the second stage that hopefully um, I'll be able to talk about in greater detail in the future, and hopefully we'll be able to turn it into a, um, a larger funded study sometime soon. Oh, wow, that sounds uh, really exciting. So um, you mentioned in the first study about um, finding pathways to kind of uh, identifying targets to degrade the damage caused by AMD. So uh, I wanted to ask if um, you think those activators that you were talking about, small molecules, um, would they act in a situation where the damage has accumulated over a period of time that happens in age-related disease like AMD? or it's something that will have to be administered in parallel to the damage that, that occurs at the beginning of the disease. Oh, yeah, that, that's great. So the preventive versus the treatment question, that's always the hardest question. Um, so right now, our early studies have been primarily tested uh, in a preventive platform. In other words, before we know in a model system that uh, there are characteristics of the disease that develop, we use this activator and see whether or not that is keeping the cell strong enough to handle the injury. Um, the next phase, which is part of our uh, NIH-funded grant, is to test treatment. And that's specifically in a model system where the injury has already occurred. Can we add it in? And would it be able to like clear the so-called garbage, the lipid and protein drusen um, from, uh, from an eye? So that question is to be determined. Thank you. That's, that's really exciting. Um, based on the second study that um, you mentioned, would that be kind of a biomarker that would be helpful to detect early AMD uh, in a routine test, like a blood work, at some point, if it's uh, if you're able to characterize it. Um, so the samples we used were um, serum and plasma samples from donor uh, from patients that had the different stages of AMD, and our hope is that it would translate into that. Uh, with Bright Focus, we were fortunate enough to be able to screen um, a minimum of 20 patients per clinical subtype. 
But in order for this to go to the next phase, we're going to have to expand our, our number of patients. So we can really see a nice trend. But the ideal would be that as a biomarker, we could basically take somebody's blood and look at the levels of this particular protein that's involved in recruitment of um, immune cells and then determine whether or not that they may progress if this particular biomarker is there or would it progress to a uh, more severe form. And would this be a biomarker that's more uh, relevant to dry form of AMD or would it also be for the wet form of AMD? Right. Right now we're seeing that there is a nice um, switch in small to intermediate, uh, in um, early to intermediate tri-AMD. And we do believe it actually plays a role in the wet AMD, but the um, whether or not it's involved in the progression or the switch over to wet remains to be seen. So this is mostly an early phase. that Our data indicates that it's mostly an early phase. So um, at this point, I want to ask one of the questions that uh, just came in. Um, so the question is, does dry AMD worsen to wet AMD in a uh, majority of the cases? Oh, I'm sorry. Was the question, does it convert from dry to wet in the majority of the cases? Yes. Dry, to, okay. does dry AMD worsen to wet AMD in uh, majority of the cases? There is evidence that um, when you develop dry AMD that uh, I believe 20% may switch over to wet AMD in a period of uh, 5 to 10 years. Once again, this is one of those really hard questions as to um, will it happen or will it not. The multifactorial and complex nature of the disease dictates that all these risk factors are going to behave in different ways in different people. And so, though there is a risk, it doesn't mean it happens in everybody, as I understand it. Thank you. So, um, are there any other approaches that you're exploring in your laboratory to better understand or find treatment for AMD outside of the two studies that you mentioned? Um, sure. So, you know, our goal in the lab has always been to try and figure out how we can make um, essentially old cells young again because as I mentioned earlier, a major risk factor for the disease is age. So somehow our ability, the cell's ability to handle injury or maybe a high fat or, you know, uh, the the consequences of smoking, somehow our cell's ability to handle that injury is compromised as we age. So I'd like to think of these, uh, our cells becoming vulnerable. And um, my lab generally is been focusing on this large family of transcription factors, one of which was the aryl hydrocarbon receptor that I mentioned earlier. Um, and what we've done is we've looked at basically the expression of these transcription factors in the back of the eye. We've created this library saying, okay, where are they expressed and at what level are they expressed? And based on that, when we look at young and old um, 
cells, we can identify some candidate receptors to study in more detail. And so we've been looking at some other receptors, um, one of which is called the liver X receptor. And the reason we're looking at that particular one is because it's a master regulator of the immune response and um, lipid metabolism. And it's been studied fairly extensively in other diseases that share pathways with AMD, like atherosclerosis and Alzheimer's disease. And we've been looking at that in um, fairly, uh, in quite a bit of detail, and specifically whether or not we can target it and would it help improve the health of cells and um, allow them to function better in an environment where they are bombarded by potential uh, injurious material. And these receptors, we have a total of 48 of them. So, so far we've gone through four. <laughs> so we have a long way to go, but basically that is the overall focus of my lab right now. Uh, you mentioned about transcription factors. Could you, could you explain what transcription factors are? Oh, yes. I'm so sorry. So transcription factors. Transcription factors are essentially factors that will um, lead to the formation of genes and proteins and molecules. So these are regulators of very um, important pathways. Like, for example, they could um, involve the formation of a lipid. They could um, regulate the formation of a particular protein, and um, some of them will regulate many proteins, some will regulate many lipids. And if we know, for example, that in drusen, that they are filled with lipids and they are filled with proteins, if we take a step back and say, what's responsible for making those lipids? What's responsible for making those proteins? And can we target that regulator, that thing that's the master regulator and responsible for forming these? And maybe we can block it or we can help remove it. Um, these are essentially these factors that are involved in um, regulating the formation of important molecules. That is great. Uh, we have another question that's come in on the AIDS formula asking if people experience any side effects um, using AIDS formula, if you would happen to know about that. Um, so there, there are two formulations. There was the ARIDS-1 formulation. In the ARIDS-1 formulation, there were individuals who had potential um, side effects, uh, in particular because of the beta-carotene that it had. Um, and this was specifically in individuals who were smokers, previous smokers. Uh, the new formulation, as far as I know, I, I don't know if there have been any risk factors. I think there's been greater success. And it's currently, um, because it's supplemented with uh, with um, lutein and zeaxanthine, these are carotenoids. They're basically plant-derived nutrients, and our body can't make it, so it's something that is very important to us. It also has antioxidants, vitamins like vitamin C and vitamin E and zinc. Um, I believe so far there has been uh, good good um, effects with the ARIDS-2 formulation. And, and, and just to step back, I mean, there, there's a lot that you see potentially if you step into your local um, drugstore, you may find a lot of these formulations. So really, the selection of which one an individual should take, a patient should take, is should be discussed in detail with the ophthalmologist um, that they have a relationship with. Thank you. 
Um, at this point, I also want to let our audience know that we do have a number of free materials on macular degeneration that are available to be downloaded from our website at any time, or you could call our toll-free number 1-800-437-2423, and uh, we will be happy to mail you a copy of uh, the material. And one particular material is um, Understanding Macular Degeneration that has the information about the ARITS 2 recommendation that uh, we just discussed about on the chat. So um, moving along, uh, Dr. Malik, when you uh, look down the road at the type of research that's uh, coming out from your group and other researchers in the field, do you think it is possible this could lead to future treatments for AMD? Uh, what is your optimism for this type of research that's currently happening? You know, when I look back 20 years ago, uh, the amount of information that we have gained through research is just, it's exploded. Uh, not only because we are, we, we now have new tools to try and understand the progression of the disease, like new imaging technologies, but also because there's been this explosion in the number of genes that have been identified that are associated with risk. And I think each of these basically gives us an additional window into how AMD develops. So I do see that as we get more and more information, as we have more and more ways of really understanding how the disease develops and how it progresses, um, we will have we will be able to identify pathways and target them um, successfully in the future. So th there are already the especially in 2005 when the immune link was um, really uh, uh, identified with complement factor H, I, I think that um, the, uh, in the future we will be able to hopefully target the disease and perhaps on a patient-specific basis because, once again, it's complex, so we have to learn more about what an individual, what risk factors an individual carries and how it progresses in order to target it there, uh, effectively. So I'm very optimistic. I, I do think that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. This is uh, very encouraging to hear and it gives us a lot of hope for the future. Um, I want to ask another question that came in from our listeners um, about what are some of the current treatments available for dry AMD? Well, for dry AMD, um, the most notable one is the ARIDS-2 formulation. Uh, you know, when you think about dry, dry AMD and we think about the, the pathology, it's obviously the accumulation of these deposits, so we do want to get rid of them. It's also strengthening the cells that are vulnerable, so that's the RP cells, the nurse cells to the retina, the photoreceptors, the cells that are involved in absorbing light and sending a signal to the brain, as well as the vasculature on the outside, which essentially also supports the RP and the retina. And I don't think there is um, an effective treatment that's sanctioned for targeting all of those um, components. But um, certainly, you know, the ARADS formulation ha has shown promise. And then, you know, changing your lifestyle and making it a healthier lifestyle, certainly that has been um, uh, garnered a lot of attention. It may help uh, 
prevent or slow down progression, not prevent, but slow down progression. That's avoiding the usual suspects, avoiding smoking, exercising regularly, eating a really healthy diet, um, lots of omega-3 rich fat, fish, um, leafy vegetables, you know, your your kale, your spinach, um, fruits like kiwi, things like that. So I think those are some of the th- some of the steps we can take at least now to to hopefully slow down the progression. But there's no treatment that I know of um that is uh being purported as uh, a therapy for AMD. This is I mean, this is a great advice and it's amazing how much benefit one can get from not smoking, having a healthy diet and um, remaining physically active, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, another question that's come in is uh, about uh, the listener wants to know if it's possible to reverse early AMD. If so, how could that be achieved? Yes, yes. So reversal, once again, would require getting rid of the, the things that are blocking, you know, the outside of the eye, the drusen, and improving the health of the RPE cell. And I think that um, many researchers are trying to do that. Uh, For example, as I mentioned, if we could make um, an aged cell young again, that would hopefully help in, in the reversal, make the cell stronger, make it able to bounce back from injury. Um, there is no there's no treatment for that yet, but that's certainly the hope that one day we'll be able to make our cells strong enough to handle any kind of insult that gets thrown at them just on a, a regular, normal, day-to-day basis. Thank you. That's, that's really great. Um, so before we wrap up, um, do you have any final advice to people who have AMD or who care for someone with AMD? Uh, I I am hopeful for the future. I I think that having a great relationship with your ophthalmologist will help you um, have a nice, healthy life in spite of the challenge that's been thrown at you. I. I I do think that, uh, once again, following the instructions of your ophthalmologist and doing everything in your power to slow down the progression is wonderful. Um, To be vigilant, to look out for any changes that you see, the earlier you notice something and the earlier you speak with your ophthalmologist, I think uh, um, that's a strength to, to hopefully to do a treatment. There are certainly treatments that are partially effective in wet AMD. So the moment you see something different, if you are a patient with dry AMD, you go into your uh, ophthalmologist's office. Hopefully they can try and tackle um, any potential advancement to the wet form. Um, I think that's that's it. Great. Uh, I do want to add a note that we have a pocket guide with top five questions um, to ask your eye doctor available on our website, or you could call, call our toll-free number 1-800-437-2423, and we can mail a copy of it um, that you can carry when you go to visit your uh, ophthalmologist. Uh, with that, um, thank you, Dr. Malik. Uh, this has been uh, very helpful, and uh, it's been a great opportunity to learn about the current research happening in AMD and uh, the impact it might have on the daily lives of people going through this condition. 
I want to thank you, Dr. Malik, again for your time and generosity. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you as well. Yeah, thank you. On behalf of Bright Focus Foundation, thank you for joining us today. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.